Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Rant Podcast. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries, www.gospel-app.com. Check out our website, lots of stuff on there. Check out our spiritual journeys, the forgiving path for those who can't forgive something, and the dance for those of you who struggle with esteem issues or depression or anxiety, you feel like God's disappointed in you, and treat yourself to a two-hour emotional gospel charge journey, the dance, the-dance.org. All right. For those of you who have just joined us, this is a rant. So we're going to go places that uh, most dare not. This is not your parents' Sunday school class. It's not meant to be. And and you can respond troubled or you can disagree or agree. I'm going to say a lot of things that you probably have not heard before. And it's all legit, by the way. I'm not just tossing stuff out there. But like any rant, just listen, uh, weigh it, study, look at the passages, have a good time. And think and see if it has some merit. And that's, look, we've, we have to do rants. A lot of times in the, in the historical biblical interpretation and application, it just, it's just the way we are. We get stuck in exegetical ruts. One person said this, the next person quoted them, who got quoted, and so on and on and on, until we, we have this complete understanding of a passage. But the truth of the matter is we've just stopped doing good exegetical investigation we become lazy. It's well-meaning. It's just not good. So we need to get to the Sermon on the Mount and get it right. It's the cornerstone of Jesus's gospel. And I think we've been historically sloppy. So invite your friends, invite your enemies, invite your pastors, your Bible study group, your missionaries. Look, we're cool with all of that. Send it to your email list, your Facebook account, and give me feedback, bill at gospel-app.com. We love that, and believe me, you won't be the first. If you're new to us, welcome. We've just finished looking at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. We're starting to look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with 5.13. You are the salt of the earth. But before we plunge in, many of you already know that the Gospel Rant is now partnering with Life Audio. Uh, uh, so that means a few changes, not a lot. It shouldn't affect your listening pleasure, but here's one. We're going to take a break to hear from a sponsor. We're so pleased to have sponsors. So when we come back, we will get into the Sermon on the Mount. Just stick around. But look around you, your family, your faith. They're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung Hero, a for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Welcome back. Today we're going to enjoy Jesus's great sense of humor or irony. Matthew 5.13. 
you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. All right, let me give you my interpretive expansion up front. I think this will be so helpful. And again, respond back to me, Bill, at gospel-app.com. What do you think? So here we go. So don't worry. Even though you will endure persecution, you are the savory salt needed for this insipid place. You will make a difference, persecution or not. But imagine if there was a salt that tasted chalky, like gypsum or like rock. That would be absurd. No one would touch it. And if they did taste it, they would just spit it out. They would add it to the road dust. But you're not that type of salt. You will make everything and everyone taste better. So here's another image. You will enlighten this gray-shaded world. As you depend upon me, the true light of the world, people will see. You will not be hidden. Can you imagine city planners who built their city on the open face of a hill and then tried to hide it? Or that homemaker who carefully fills her lamps with precious oil so that her family can see at night, but then buries it underneath a woven bowl? That's foolish, right? No, no, no. A wise homemaker would put it on a stand where its light will shine the brightest and the furthest. That's what I have in store for you. I am putting you on a global stage. Anything less would be foolish. So be light, be salty, and don't let anything get in the way of people seeing the light in you. And that's the joke. They knew you when you were as tasteless as they were, unenviable. You were like gypsum, road fill, and you didn't shine any light for people people's path. You were shadow dwellers like them. But then you were swept up into the loving arms of my father. Trust me, they will see you in action, and they will be so surprised at the change. They will have to praise your heavenly father. All right, push back. Bill at gospel-app.com. All right, let's look into salt. And this is from Time Magazine. Thank you, Time. Quote, the history of the world, according to salt, is simple. Animals wore paths to salt licks. Men followed, trails became roads, and settlements grew besides them. When the human menu shifted from salt-rich game to cereals, more salt was needed to supplement the diet. But the underground deposits were beyond reach, and salt sprinkled over the surface was insufficient. Scarcity kept the mineral precious. As civilization spread, salt became one of the world's most principal trading commodities. Salt routes crisscrossed the globe. One of the most traveled led from Morocco south across the Sahara to Timbuktu. Ships bearing salt from Egypt to Greece traversed the Mediterranean and the Aegean. Herodotus describes a caravan route that united the salt oasis of the Libyan desert. Venice's glittering wealth was attributable not so much to exotic spices as to commonplace salt, which Phoenicians exchanged in Constantinople for the spices of Asia. In 1295, when he first returned from Cathay, Marco Polo delighted the Doge with tales of the prodigious value of salt coins bearing the seal of the Great Khan. As early as the 6th century in the sub-Sahara, Moorish merchants routinely traded salt 
ounce for an ounce of gold. In Abyssinia, slabs of rock salt called amoles became coin of the realm. Each one was about 10 inches long and 2 inches thick. Cakes of salt were also used as money in other areas of Central Africa. Well, not only did salt serve to flavor and preserve food, it became a good antiseptic, which is why the Roman word for, for these salubrious crystals, sal, is the first cousin to Salus, the goddess of health. Of all the roads that led to Rome, one of the busiest was the Via Salaria, the salt route, over which Roman soldiers marched and merchants drove ox carts full of the precious crystals up from the Tiber from the salt pans of Ostia. A soldier's pay, consisting in part of salt, came to be known as salarium argentum, from which we derive the word salary. A a soldier's salary was cut if he was not worth his salt, a phrase that came into being because the Greeks and Romans often bought slaves with salt. Close quote. Well, there we go. Thanks, time, for the feedback. Uh, and, And so that's the larger Mediterranean world. But having said that, salt was everywhere in Judea and Galilee. The Great Salt Sea was there, and it had plenty of salt for everyone. There were large markets creating, uh, created by salting fish from Galilee and then shipping them as far away as Rome. When Jesus mentioned salt, the crowd would have been very familiar with the concept. If he had said incense, well, that's a whole different thing. Only the wealthy could afford the highest quality of incense. Or if he had said water, that would have brought up images of lack of water, the need for fountains and wells. Or if he had said pepper, which was quite rare in Galilee and expensive. But salt in Israel and Judea was in abundance, and it was cherished, it was appreciated. It was recognized that it made a difference to their lives, to their lifestyles. And they could obtain it with little trouble. The Dead Sea uh in solution is about 25 kilograms of salt and 100 kilograms of water. I mean, if you've been there, you can float on the Dead Sea because of the concentration of salts. And after every flood, uh, when the water evaporated, a coarse grain salt would be left behind in pools and ditches. In Zephaniah 2, 2.9, salt pits are mentioned. In First Maccabee, same thing. Uh, there is a, a hill, Jabel Ustam, which was uh, at the south of the Dead Sea, and it was, it was salt, and it was 10 miles long. Crazy. The, me- the medical properties of salt seemed to be known by the Israelites. Newborn infants were rubbed with it, Ezekiel. Elisha heals poison streams near Jericho by throwing salt into them. So salt was everywhere in the temple, the uh, Lachem Elohai, the food of the gods, In Leviticus 2, verse 13, every oblation of your meal offering, you must season with salt. This prescription referred not only to the meal offering, but the burnt offerings of animals. Salt was used for prep of the showbread and of incense. Great quantities of salt were required in the temple service. So Israel was loaded with salt. There were salt covenants uh, in, in the Bible, right? In Numbers and Second Chronicles. Uh, still, in, in, in parts of Arabian culture, they speak of salt between us. There is salt between us. In the rabbinic literature, listen to this. The rabbis likened the Torah to salt because they said, as the world could not do without salt, neither could it do without the Torah. I mean, and think of that in conjunction with what Jesus is saying. 
a meal without salt is just no meal. Uh, again, rabbinic literature. But you are also warned not to use too much, too much of a good thing, right? So uh, how can salt lose its saltiness? Right, Matthew 5.13, Jesus says, but if salt loses its saltiness, right? Again, that's the, that's the question. How, is, how does he mean this? Is he smiling or is he being critical with eyes furrowed? You know, how can it be salty again? Because it's no longer good for anything except to be made into road fill. Well, strictly speaking, you know, I'm a chemical engineer. Early on, years ago, you, salt cannot lose its saltiness. Sodium chloride is a stable compound. But, okay, let's look at the possibilities that Jesus might have meant. First, maybe he is alluding to the rock formations that contain deposits of sodium chloride, but, but not pure. It was mixed. And they packed meat and fish with these rocks to preserve it. But after a period of time, the salt would have leached out of the rocks. So the salt didn't lose its saltiness, but this combination did. And they just threw out the rocks into road, road fill, basically. Or Jesus might have been thinking of the salt that was collected from the Dead Sea from evaporation. And the salt contained sodium chloride, but it also contained calcium, calcium sulfate, another salt, called gypsum. And they looked the same, salt and gypsum were mixed together, and people went and collected that, and it was an impure mixture of salt and gypsum, and maybe could have been sold on the market as pure salt, but it didn't taste as good, right? So listen, I'm thinking, this is number three, that Jesus is being humorous. He's being absurd. He's being a good Jewish rabbi. So what happens if salt loses its saltiness? It can't. That's the point. Water cannot not be water. Light cannot not be light. And salt cannot not be salty. I think it's a humorous promise that he's saying to these people who just became salty in this new relationship with him that, that they can't lose that. Jesus has underwritten their saltiness. He created salt and those formerly unsalty to be salty. So as salt is always salty, you disciples, you newbies, as you depend upon me and my spirit, will always bring something special and positive and desirable to the world. And if you were to lose that saltiness, which is absurd, we would have to toss you on the road. But that would just show that you weren't salt in the first place. You were just a salt lookalike, right? So all of the questions that that uh, expositors ask about how salt may lose its saltiness, I think buries the real headline. It would be unnatural for salt to lose its saltiness. If other foodstuffs are, or, or become insipid, you salt them into palatability, but it's not going to work for salt. So Jesus says, make no mistake, you, as plural, are, not should be or ought to be, you are the salt of the world. He's made us so. That's our, that's our being now. We're not charged to become salty or even more salty. See how important this is? If we just see Jesus smiling as he's saying this, we're salty because his spirit is in us, period. And so the only plan of God in his kingdom is that the whole earth will become salty and, well, at least saltier because of us, right? That's our charge to go and be reconcilers, to, to go and be peacemakers, to go and show mercy. 
All right. Hey, listen, we got to take another short break here uh, for an advertisement from a partner. So hang in there. We're going to pick this up with Jesus's ongoing humorous imagery about this goofy person who puts their light under a bushel. LOL. All right. See you in a little while. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, welcome back. We're talking salt. So you unlikely people on the hillside who are now enviable, the salty ones. Uh, by the way, not the so-called religious righteous. You are the salty one. And you know what? They've been treating you like road dust, but they don't get it. You're salt. And, you know, indirectly, what does that make them? I, I think they, that would have caused them to get a little ticked off. They would have gotten that. If these people are salt, what does it make them? And likewise, it's going to be absurd. I mean, just foolishly comical. Jesus' sense of humor is amazing. For a person, think about this person, well-meaning person, to light an oil lamp, pay coin for the oil, and then cover it with a bushel. You know the joke of that? Or to build a city on an exposed side of the hill and then try to hide it? The crowd would have loved the absurdity. LOL, the crowd would have laughed. And he, maybe he pointed to Tiberius, of many people had pointed out. And it, at a dark night in Capernaum, you could see the lights of Tiberius on the hill just north. In the Old Testament, Israel was to be God's light to the world. So Jesus is, is pulling on threads that already existed. But he's saying this, now there is a new light, a different light, shining to draw dark cave dwellers to freedom. Here's Isaiah 51, 4. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. The law will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. Right? And then there's um, Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 9, which Matthew has referred to earlier. So I like this section. And in this section, the light was the rulership of the new king. So it is what Jesus is doing. So he is shining light and he's making these people light givers, so to speak, his light, but through them. Um, 9-1 of Isaiah. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, 
But in the future, he will honor Galilee and the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So you're the light. Don't cover it. Here's the shocker again, bearing the headlines. The shocker is that Jesus has made these people light. This ragtag, disenfranchised, formerly dark, disempowered outsiders, he's made them, called them, raised them up, transformed them to be his new ambassadors, his new prophets. You, he says to them, are the prophesied light in me, of course, and through me and my power, depending on me, but you're the light that's going to draw the nations to God. I mean, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't have expected to hear that no more than you or I do. And listen, you know, speaking of Jesus's death, it it seems like the light was absorbed by a dark grave and its light and fire quenched. It lost its saltiness, so to speak. Something else was divined. That light was rebirthed and has shone now into the darkness and all nations and is drawing the nations to God. All right, here's some more thoughts. Uh, both salt and light are useful and effective only to the extent that they give of themselves. And they give themselves up, they mix with something else, and they are sacrificed. They're no longer alone. So light goes into the darkness and it only shines for a minute. Salt is rubbed and kneaded into the loaf, never to be seen again, apart from the bread. And by both of their very natures, it only takes a little, a, a little light or salt to affect a lot. I mean, I, th- I think he's saying that the mission will remain a minority movement. So salt and light live and work by sacrificing and giving of themselves and not by trying to preserve themselves. That would be absurd to purchase salt and sprinkle it uh, among your salt cellar to preserve the remnant there, right? So look at my salt cellar. I'm going to sprinkle some more salt on it or to shine a flashlight in the daytime, or at high noon just to make it even brighter, right? That's, that's an absurd. Light is made, its function is to change the nature of the darkness. Salt is used to enhance the existence and value of anything you sprinkle it on, rub it into. Ultimately, salt and light do their thing without much credit. No one says after a great meal that the amount of salt used was perfect. Oh my goodness, that steak made the salt taste so salty. I love it, right? They comment on the steak, on the casserole, or the bread, or the meat. McDonald's fries, they're amazing, but no one says that they love McDonald's salt, even though it's the salt that <laughs> the studies have shown. And it's a huge amount of salt. I, by the way, uh, look, I love McDonald's fries. All right, next image, real quickly. To build a city on the hill is an intentional strategy to be seen and admired. You have choices, right? If you want to be seen as a great town, you, you build your city on the side of a hill, not in a, a the very, very top of the hill. People who want to live a quiet, secluded life build their cities tucked away out of sight and hope they won't be noticed. Nazareth, for instance was built in a bowl in a protective valley. And it's hard to see from the Via Maris, which is in the Megiddo Valley. Maybe there's a, a slight jab uh, to Jerusalem here by Jesus. I mean, that could be funny too. Jerusalem was and is built on a mount, Mount Zion, but geographically, it's surrounded by even higher hills. And from beyond that ridge, you just can't see Jerusalem. You have to go up the top of the ridge to see down unto, the, unto Mount Zion. 
It was built off of both international highways, north-south routes. And to get there, you have to be intentional. You got to go through strategically dangerous mountain roads and trails. So in one sense, the light of Mount Zion is hidden. Uh, could, Could that be kind of a quirky thing Jesus is saying? The bushel container, those are pretty common. Likely each home had one or two or three or four. And lighting a lamp in order to hide it under the peck measure is absurd, is foolish, is as senseless as thinking that a city built on a hill could be kept from the sight of those who pass by. So Jesus says, you are that little grain of salt that's here to make someone else better, less disenfranchised, less disempowered, less ashamed, less overlooked. That's your calling. You're to make them taste better. Jesus says so. This is what salt do. And salt wants to do this. This is salt's nature. You're going to make something or someone saltier. And you are that glimmer of light that will make the darkness here a little less exclusive. Others will see the light. Light's very public. And you will. Jesus says so. So salt is never there for itself. No one eats salt on its own. I guess there, you know, animals do, but, you know, we don't. It's designed to make food better and last longer. Salt's available to all. Um, incense was only available to the wealthy in Israel, but everyone had access and familiarity with salt. Salt, an inch away from the food, is worthless, right? Salt left in the salt container, it, it doesn't mean a thing. It needs to be sprinkled on, rubbed in uh, into willing food, and then the food is enhanced. And salt's main mission is penetrating and enhancing food. That's your job. Salt is, right? Salt a centimeter away is useless. But if salt loses its saltiness, I mean, it literally becomes foolish or useless. Maybe Jesus reaches down. I like to think this. He reaches down, takes a little salt out of a pouch and grabs some dirt and mixes them together and tastes it and spits it out. That would, that would be a great show and tell, right? But who knows? But you could reduce the saltiness of salt by adding gypsum or sand or dirt. It loses its ability to make other things taste good. And so salt is the gospel. It's about the gospel in your life, about the kingdom, about the rescue of Jesus. And it just, if it gets confused, it's less tasteful. Uh, Think of McDonald's fries if you rub some flour on them or dirt, right? But if it becomes about... uh, even good things without Jesus, let's let's say social change without Jesus, it's less valuable. It's still a good thing, but we're called to do even greater things, and that's social change through Jesus, right? He's the big salt. Um, and listen, I'm a chemical engineer from training. I can tell you chemically, you can make salt salt again. But, you know, Jesus is speaking to farmers and shepherds and fishermen, and, and they understood the, the image. Here's Helmut Thielicke, quote, In any case, Jesus, the faithful salt and loyal light, did not choose to shine in the glory of heaven and to preserve and save himself in the pleasant climate of the kingdom of God. No, he came as a light in the darkness of the world, right down into the midst of reeling, staggering, unhappy humanity. Close quote. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will contrast our hidden saltiness to the Pharisee, who gives to be noticed, and who prays and fasts in order to be credited with righteousness. Salt doesn't, by nature, think that way. Uh, We do, humans do, but not salt. 
It's just the opposite. It doesn't complain that the bread gets praised or wins an award. It doesn't complain when the salt is stored in a dark cupboard. It is its thing, I mean, real salt. And I wonder if a comparison could be made to the character of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I want to be very careful because this, this is way over my pay grade. But again, it's a rant. So push back, Bill at gospel-app.com. But honestly, we hear so little about the Spirit, often just in passing, and often he's referred to as the Spirit of Christ. I, mean, I don't think his nose gets bent out of shape. No, he is pleased, as one of my friends says, to dwell in my cesspool heart, almost secretively, because that's how much he loves me. And he wants me to be light, even though I'm using his light through me. He doesn't just sit there. It's his passion, Calvin says. His secret workings is to make me feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for me. And others, he's salty, and his passion is to make me saltier, to make me more light. All right, but how is the salt scattered? One answer would be witnessing and mission, but another would be more ominous. When Jesus appeared before Pilate in human weakness, Pilate and the Sanhedrin dismissed the Messiah. They relegated him to suffer, to be tortured, and murdered on the cross. In their minds, the problem was dealt with, never to be seen again, nothing more to worry about. But it turns out that the cross was God casting his salt around the globe, the beginning of it. Death did not cause the salt to lose any saltiness at all. The light didn't become dark because it can't. It remains light. So again, I think Jesus is being hilarious here. Uh, I think he was a great crowd pleaser when he spoke. He's being radical and provocative and humorous. The Jews were the light to the world, but Jesus says that these very unlikely societal rejects on the hillside, he says to them that they're the light of God to the world. And how? Jesus the light of the world will shine on the world through them as they depend upon him and his spirit. Now, does this disqualify the Jews? No, the prophecy still stands and more mystery. We can talk about that some other time. Also, Jesus says you are the light, even though he just said that they would be persecuted by darkness and that it would be hard and there would be pain and losses and unfairness and injustices. What Jesus is saying is even through those things, and in some cases, those things multiply the light of God shining into the world. And that's the plan. It happened at the cross and, and uh, the death of Christ, and it will happen even through and because our suffering. Look, I've said it before. If I was God, I'd do a different plan, but there it is. <laughs> Look, if I was in that crowd listening to this, I would be laughing, but part of me would be going, what? Wait, wait. he's talking about me? I've never been like before. Nobody has ever said I've made their life any better. And by the way, I'm also not real happy about this persecution thing that I just heard one verse ago. <laughs> I'd be a little anxious about the scope. The world, the land of Israel, me. Um, remember the whiplash these folks have just endured from disenfranchisement to enfranchisement in just a few short sentences. Um I think they would have been concerned. And I think this is true if you've heard me talk on Matthew 28, go and make disciples. I think the disciples would have gone, what? Wait, wait we, don't, we don't make disciples. Jesus makes disciples. It's the same idea. So I suspect, again, Jesus reached down into a pouch, pulled out salt, tasted it, spit it out on the trail, and the crowd probably roared um, because they 
for the rest of their lives, maybe for their entire lives, they had been told they were insignificant road dust. But now God himself has proclaimed them the salt and light of the world. I mean, they would have gotten the idea. I think emotions would have been in turmoil. The Pharisees and the purest religious leaders also couldn't believe their ears what this teacher is saying. He's embracing these folks. He's telling the impure, the unclean, that they're light. No, no, no. Israel is the light. Torah is the salt. Uh, What kind of movement is this? Well, of course, they got it all wrong. Um, So again, here's the verses. So don't worry, even though you will endure persecution, I've got this. You, you know, that's right. You are all the savory salt needed for this insipid, insipid place. You will make a difference, persecution or not. But imagine if there was a salt that tasted chalky, like gypsum, like rock. That would be absurd. No one would touch it. And if they did taste it, they would just spit it out. They would just add it to the other road fill. But you are not that type of salt. You will make everyone taste better. Right? Again, in, in spite of what you were told before. And here's another metaphor. You will enlighten this gray-shaded world as you depend upon me, the true light of the world. People will see. You will not be hidden. Can you imagine city planners who built their city on open face of a hill and then tried to hide it? Or that homemaker, right, who carefully fills her lamps with precious oil so that her family can see at night, but then buries it underneath a woven bowl? It's ridiculous, right? No, 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 no. A wise homemaker would put it on a stand where its light will shine the brightest and the furthest. That's what I have in store for you. I'm putting you on a global stage. Anything less would be foolish. So be light, be salty, and don't let anything get in the way of people seeing light in you. And here's the joke. They knew you when you were as tasteless as they were, unenviable. You were like gypsum, roadfill, and you didn't shine any light for people's paths. You were shadow dwellers like them. But then you were swept up into the loving arms of my father. Trust me, they will see you in action, and they will be so surprised at the change. They will have to praise your heavenly father. Close quote. All right, we're going to pick it up here next time. Tell your friends. We need to get the Sermon on the Mount right. It's going to make such a difference to hurting people. I mean, hopefully you've picked some of that up uh, as we've gone through this wonderful section today. Again, pushback bill at gospel-app.com. I want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on on this podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find a dozen of others, uh, faith-centered podcasts, They've got shows about prayer and Bible study, parenting, and now a gospel rant. Well, until next time, take heart, child of God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for working everything out for my good. Help me trust in your perfect plan. Amen. Father, thank you for loving and caring for me. With Christian prayer meditation, you can pray along to prayers based on specific topics. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Christian prayer meditation. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.